It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Go away from my window. Leave at your own chosen speed. I'm not the one you want, babe. I ain't the one you need. You say you're looking for someone never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you, whether you're right or wrong. Someone to open each and every door. Uh, but it ain't me, babe. No, <laughs> no, no, it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go lightly from the ledge, babe. Go lightly on the ground. I'm not the one you want, babe. I don't let you down. You say you're looking for someone who will promise never to part. Someone to close his eyes for you. Someone to close his heart. Someone who will die for you and more. Ooh, it ain't me, babe. No, no, no. It ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go melt back into the night, babe. Everything inside is made of stone. There's nothing in here moving. Anyway, I'm not alone. You say you're looking for someone who will pick you up each time you fall, to gather flowers constantly and to come each time you call a lover for your life and nothing more. Hey, it ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. 
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one coming up. Uh, we're going to start out this hour by uh, taking a look at uh, America the Beautiful. And um, we're going to start that with a, uh, a trip to Niagara Falls with the Bickersons. But then we're going to... Then we're going to talk with the uh, editor-in-chief of National Geographic about a new book they have out called America the Beautiful. And then uh, as we move on through the show, we're going to talk with um, author Blake Bauer about his book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. And then we talk to uh, veteran prosecutor, uh, or veteran Los Angeles prosecutor, Jonathan Crystal about his book, uh, called What They Don't Teach Teens. That's going to be a very uh, interesting conversation. But first, let's uh, let's head to Niagara Falls with the with the Bickersons, and then we'll uh, and then we'll talk with Susan Goldberg from National Geographic about America the Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. <laughs> Like most married women, Blanche Bickerson is a romanticist. Having talked poor husband John into taking her on a second honeymoon, three o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson in the lobby of a small hotel at Niagara Falls. Exhausted and bleary-eyed from the long drive, John Bickerson unloads the luggage outside as his wide-awake wife talks to the night clerk. Let's listen. It doesn't really matter about the room as long as we have a nice view of the falls. Yes, ma'am. I'll bet you don't remember me. No, ma'am. Well, I wouldn't expect you to with all the honeymoon couples you meet. I was here seven years ago. Is that so? Yes. Well, better luck this time. Oh, we're still married to each other. We're just having a second honeymoon. Do many people do that? No, ma'am. I wonder why. I wouldn't know, ma'am. Are you married? No, ma'am. Arthritis makes me walk this way. Will you please sign the register? Oh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here, we had to wait two days for a room. We stayed in a motel in Buffalo. Oh, here you are. Thank you. Is that Bickerson? Yes. Didn't I sign it right? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. John Bickerson and husband. Here's the key. Room 318. There's the automatic elevator over there. We don't have any bellboys at night. Oh, that's all right. I'll go out to the car and get my husband. John, where is he? He's not in the car. I wonder if he took the luggage out of the trunk. Good heavens! John, get out of that trunk, you darned fool! John, John, John! Blanche, 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 shut the door. There's a draft. Out of that thing. All right, all right, all right. Don't pull. Ow, my hand. Oh, serves you right. Pick up that luggage and straighten yourself up. Ow. I don't want you to go in that nice hotel looking like a ragamuffin. It's a nice muffin. Um, grab a couple of these bags, will you, Blanche? No. It wouldn't look right on our honeymoon. Come on. Oh, my back. Where's the bellboy? We don't have any at night. Are you the clerk? Yes, sir. Where's the register? I, I want a room with a bed. I've already signed it. You've 
got a room. Good. Where are you going to sleep? Come on, John. Stop dragging your feet. I just drove two thousand miles for a second honeymoon. Lead me to my room. You had to talk like that in front of the clerk. Oh, let me sleep, will you, Blanche? I'd just like to go one place with you that you didn't embarrass and humiliate me. You've been unbearable since we left home. Keep going. In here? Yes. Pull the bags in so I can shut the door. No windows. No nothing. How much do they get for this broken-down room? This is the elevator. <laughs> oh well, push the button or something and get it started. I can't keep my eyes open another minute. I was afraid this would happen. I'd hope that going on a second honeymoon would bring us closer together. Can't get much closer than this, unless you throw the luggage out. Every time I want you to be romantic, you're so distant, John. What is keeping us apart? The brown suitcase. What floor are we on? I'm sleepy. You're always sleepy. When you're not sleepy, you're humiliating me. I'll never be able to face that night clerk in the morning. You won't have to. Why not? There'll be a day clerk. Which way is the room? I don't know, and I don't care. I- I'm going to stay in the elevator. Oh come on, will you, Blanche? Well, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now where's the room? Right in front of you, three eighteen. Well, open the door before I collapse. Thank heaven, I got to get some sleep. Well, put the lights on. Don't stumble around in the dark. Don't want to open my eyes. Just aim me at the bed and give me a shove. I'm not going to let you sleep until you undress properly and unpack the luggage. Oh, Blanche, why'd you have to bring so much stuff? You've got as much stuff as I have. I have not. All I brought was my toothbrush and my overnight bottle. You and that bourbon. You wouldn't take five steps away from home without it. Well, I can still remember what happened when we got snowbound in that cabin. That wasn't so terrible. Oh, not much. I had to live for two weeks on nothing but food and water. Don't throw my things around like that. There's no closet. Where shall I put these dresses? In the drawer. Where do you want these drawers? In the dresser. Fold up your pants neatly and put them under the mattress. Okay. Well, take them off first, John. What a fool I was to think you'd change. The second honeymoon was just as big a mistake as our first one. Oh no, it wasn't. I'm so sorry you made me go on this trip that I could just die. I didn't make you go. You shanghaied me. Even tried to get me to marry you again. Was that such an unreasonable request? Yes, it isn't legal. Why not? A man can't be punished twice for the same crime. Oh, that's too bad about you. How you shame me in front of all my friends, and after I sent the invitations out too. Well, I wasn't going to have any formal. A wedding and put out a lot of dough to feed your hungry friends and their squalling brats. There wouldn't have been any brats there at all. How do you know? Because I said plainly on the invitation, Mister and Missus John Bickerson will be married March ninth. No children expected. Put out the lights. I'm never going back to that horrible apartment we live in. I'm going to sit here and stare at the falls forever. Wouldn't hurt you to look at them either, John. I see them every day on the shredded wheat box. How can you be so cynical? I'm glad I have a little romance in my soul. Just the sight of those falls brings back memories.、Mm, yeah. Sit up, John. Look at that cascade. Doesn't it remind you of something? Yeah. What, John? I think I left the water running in the bathtub. John, 
You didn't. Okay, I didn't. Good night, Blanche. I never should have trusted you to lock up. Now I'm really worried. Did you close all of the windows? Close the windows. You didn't leave any lights burning, did you? Uh, no. Did you leave food for the cat? Left enough for a week. What did you leave him? A six-pound tin of corned beef. Did you empty it into a plate? No. Well, how do you expect the cat to eat? I left the can opener on top. Stop worrying about the cat. We should have taken all the animals with us. Poor little canary locked in the cage. Cat can't get out of the house. And who is going to feed the goldfish? Oh, I'll bet they're terribly unhappy. Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation. They are not. They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing. Fishing? Where? In the goldfish bowl. He was using the canary for bait. John Bickerson! Oh, go to sleep. The canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead. Don't talk like that. I love that cat. When I get home, I'm going to enter him in a cat show. What for? He couldn't win anything. Maybe not, but he'd meet a lot of nice cats. Go to sleep, will you, Blanche? I'm not sleepy. Why don't you sit up and talk to me? Blanche, people don't talk at four in the morning. You talked until five o'clock on our first honeymoon. You kept reciting poetry and telling me how beautiful I was. Do you remember what you said, John? No. You told me your love for me was like a raging inferno. You said you had a fierce fire blazing in your breast like a live coal. What happened to it, John? It's only a clinker now. How can you say such terrible things to me? Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. I'd like to hear you say things like that to Gloria Gooseby. Can't I even go to Niagara Falls without Gloria Gooseby? The only reason you didn't was because she wouldn't have you. What? You proposed to her 15 times before you proposed to me. You big second fiddle, you. I never proposed to Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. And the next time I see her, I'm going to punch her husband, Leo, right in the nose. What have you got against Leo? He's a better husband than you are. I'm sick of hearing that, too. Leo Gooseby is a cheap, chiseling bum. He is not. He's more generous than you. Would Leo Gooseby give you a new dress? No. Would he give you a new hat? No. Would he give you a mink coat? No. Would you give me a mink coat? No. Why should I give you anything? Leo wouldn't. Stop screaming. You'll wake up the whole hotel. Well, stop goading me. You want me to do nothing but fight, fight, fight. No, I don't. All I do is ask for proof you love me, and you go into a tantrum. Blanche, what more proof do you want? I tell it to you a thousand times a day. I raise a new crop of freckles to spell out I love you. I painted it on all the Burma shave signs. Somebody's at the door, John. Honey, honey, honey. Honey! Madam, this is not a beehive. It's my bedroom. What are people wandering around in the halls this time of night? Don't be so crabby. It's probably some nice little bride who can't find her husband. Maybe he's lost. He isn't lost. He's hiding. Put out the lights, will you, Blanche? I've got a vile headache. Nobody told you to yell your brains out. Good night. If you just stand here and look at the falls for a few minutes... Your headache will go away and you'll sleep fine. Where does all that water come from? I once read it goes over at the rate of 346,000 gallons a second. John? Yeah? Are the falls higher on the American side or on the Canadian side? I don't know. I'll have to find out in the morning. What a majestic spectacle. I'm convinced there's nothing in the world like Niagara Falls. Except you, Blanche. Really, John? Why do you say that? Because you never dry up either. Good night, John.
N-O-I-D, everybody, it's me, Tigger, T-I-Double-G-R, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3.
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner program.com The Tom Sumner program.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is going to be talking about a new book from National Geographic. And who better to talk about this new book, America the Beautiful, a story in photographs, than the editor-in-chief of National Geographic, Susan Goldberg, who joins me by phone. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate being here. Um, I, I was going to mention in the uh, in the introduction, but uh, I... I, I that you're actually from Michigan originally. I am. I grew up in Ann Arbor, and I went to school at Michigan State. So I am really from Michigan. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the Michigan-Michigan State game must be a tough day. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard. I've gotten so much grief uh, for all my life. Well, you can imagine. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this book, and, and I've been thumbing through the book, and like... What National Geographic does better than anybody else ever is not only the quality of the photographs, but the quality of the reproduction of the photographs. They are just stunning to look at. You know, you read that in a press release. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a press release right now, Susan, that says, New book offers a breathtaking celebration of our nation's unique cultural history through stunning photographs, intricate maps, and more. When you read that stunning photograph, of course, everybody's going to say that. But when you open the book, that phrase comes to life because they really are amazing. Well, I think that one of the hallmarks of National Geographic photographs, whether in this book or in our other publications or you know in our print magazine, is that they have the power to transport you places. And that seems to me has never been more important than it is right now when all of our travel wings have been clipped. We're all staying home because of the pandemic and we can't get out around the country even, let alone around the world. And so this book takes us on a you know, an armchair journey around country and it just reminds you of how big and vast and beautiful our country really is. You know, it's it's a pretty good sized tome and I always joke when I see one of these these big books from National Geographic that the, a lot of people call coffee table books, that the reason they call them coffee table books is because if you put legs on it, it could be a coffee table. <laughs> well, that's true. You know, some people call them mouse killers, but I guess that's not a very nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. There are some things about this book that are especially interesting. Obviously, it's a collection of some amazing photographs from the history uh, of, what, over 130 years of National Geographic photographs. I thought there would be more black and white photographs than there are. There are some, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, there is an interesting mix of contemporary and historic photos. So we've got photos from the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. But, you know, color photography started 
relatively early. And so you've got photos from the 30s in there um, that are even in color. There's a photo I really like uh, from 1939 of a sailor getting tattooed in Norfolk, Virginia. And it, it, it's a color photo, um, but it just it looks so antique just in the way that people are dressed, you know, the whole the whole scene of it. But there are, there are some black and white photos in there, too. There's um, a couple of other interesting things about it. One is it's um, organized by region and inspired by the verses of the original poem. Um, how how was that decision made? And one other element that I find very interesting is that some very well-known people have weighed in on... Uh, some elements of of the different regions and states and so on. Well, absolutely. We got, um, you know, well-known folks from each state to write a very short little essay about what the state meant to them. Often they were born in the state and still lived in the state. Sometimes they were just from the state but had left. But in any case, people had these beautiful reflections really on where they came from. There's a lovely one about Michigan from James Earl Jones, which I which I really like quite a bit. But you mentioned you mentioned the poem "America the Beautiful," and that was a poem uh, written in 1893 by Catherine Lee Bates, who was a young English professor at Wellesley College, and she took a train trip across the country and ended up writing one of the most famous poems. And all of us know the first stanza by heart, and it begins. Oh, beautiful, first spacious skies. And that, I'm not going to sing it for you, but lots of people think <laughs> that that really ought to be our national anthem. And so when she writes about amber waves of grain, what she's talking about is how she felt when she saw Kansas. And when she writes, Oh, purple mountain majesty, she's talking about seeing the Rocky Mountains for the first time. And so the, the words of the poem weave its way through the book, along with the photos and along with these beautiful reflections from the people from those states. And an interesting combination of uh, people. You have people from news and politics and, and show business. Uh, you mentioned James Earl Jones. <clears throat> what did he have to say about Michigan since we're both from here? Yeah, I can read it. It's quite short and very moving. He says, for many, Michigan means lakes and football, icy cold winters bundled up or summers spent hanging out on hot city streets. For me... It's time spent in church with my grandparents or on stage at a school theater reciting lines. But we know Michigan is really about the people with big open hearts, like the kind teacher who taught me to stand up and speak. Michigan is a place where a young boy can find his true voice. And I think that that is so moving. And in so few words, it tells you so much about how grateful James Earl Jones is for the people who helped him along the way. And what I love is this, what he said is paired with just a beautiful picture, um, you know, of, of these first graders, these little African-American first graders who are dressed up as historic figures to celebrate Heritage Day at the Malcolm X Academy in Detroit. And it's just so wonderful to read James Earl Jones's words and then look at the picture of these, you know, up-and-coming young men. It's, it's very lovely. Well, and him crediting the teacher, um, for you know getting him to stand up and speak is really significant because um, James Earl Jones as I recall um, had a very difficult time with stuttering when he was young well exactly and that is what he's referring to and of course 
you know, now he's got the most famous voice of practically anybody on the planet, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know. And so there you have it. I'm also really struck by what LeBron James had to say. You know, our our sister state or yeah, our neighbor about Ohio. in Ohio. Yeah, so LeBron James, world-famous athlete, multimillionaire, you know, can live anywhere. And what he says is, before anyone ever cared where I would play basketball, I was a kid from Northeast Ohio. In Northeast Ohio, nothing is given. Everything is earned. You work for what you have. No matter where I go in the world, Ohio will always be home. And, you know, having lived in Cleveland and, and, you know, been the editor of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, we used to cover LeBron James all the time back when he was when he was playing for the Cavs. And that is how he seemed to feel about Ohio. He, you know, lived in lived in northeast Ohio and it is his home and he, you know, retains incredibly strong ties to that community. And I think that really shines through in just those simple statements. I was surprised that Robin Roberts weighed in on Mississippi because she so usually identifies with uh, New Orleans and Louisiana. Well, she is from Mississippi, and I'm just getting to the page where she she is writing about Mississippi. Um, here we go. So, yeah, Robin is Robin is really talking about um, you know her reminiscences. Of, of the place. And I like what she says here. She says, we were a military family, and I grew up moving all the time. But when it came time for my father to retire from the U.S. Air Force, the Roberts family got to decide where we would put down our roots. I am proud to say we chose Mississippi. It is home. And so, you know, the, what I love about these essays is they're very short. <laughs> for one, they're very digestible and accessible. And people really spoke from the heart. And, and, and it is a good reminder of how much people love where they're from and really love the country. And when she talks about her family being a military family, that's very significant because her dad was uh, uh, one of the Tuskegee Airmen. Exactly, exactly. This is um, this is amazing, and these essays really bring these these pictures to life, don't they? I, you know, they're paired up really, really well. One of the essays I like quite a bit is in the front of the book in Alaska. Oh, and I'm finding my Alaska. Here we go. Uh, it's an essay by Jewel, the songwriter, and it is next to a photograph that just looks at this epic Alaskan landscape with the northern lights and sort of this frozen tundra. And Jewel is writing about uh, how small we are compared to nature. She says, here you remember you are not bigger than nature. You do not control nature. Here you learn the exhale of receding tides and autumn days. Uh, She says, you learn to respect and care for mother, and in turn you learn what it is to be cared for. So I just I just love these you know these reminiscences that people have from where they came from. Now I I hope I'm not making you jump around too much, but uh, um, what Roxanne Quimby said about Maine is uh, well, you know, very unique. Yes, in fact, I was just I was just looking at that, and Roxanne Quimby um, she wasn't from Maine, but she moved there in 1975, and. You know, she is the person who developed Burt's Bees, that, that wonderful kind of natural-based natural, natural yeah. based, uh, cosmetic and, and uh, uh, products company. And 
I just love what she says about Maine. She says, clinging to the United States by its tenuous border with New Hampshire, Maine is more a part of the wild Atlantic and the Canadian Maritimes than America. A refuge from civilization to the south, it is a safe harbor for the individual spirit to thrive. Thank you, Maine, for not being on the way to anywhere in particular, just Maine. So, <laughs> oh, so that great. is that is Maine, different, yeah. right? You know, you know when you're when you're in Maine, you're not going anywhere else in the United States, right? You certainly can't go any further north, and you can't go any further east. So, um, you know, it just really captures the sense of place, and I think each of these essays are so unique. And and. Um... Katie Couric is is featured. Do you want to share what what Katie Couric had to say? Yeah, so Katie Couric is from Virginia. And um, I think she actually grew up in Arlington, Virginia, not too far from where I'm sitting right now. I'm just finding her essay here. Um, But she really talks about the growing diversity of Virginia and how much that has changed uh, just even since she was there. So here's what Katie says. She says, 100 years ago, 90% of Virginians were born in the state. Today, a majority were born elsewhere, making it a more vibrant and forward-thinking place. Sometimes, tradition makes it difficult to see things in a new light. But this is not your grandfather's old dominion. Today, Virginia isn't just for lovers. It's for everyone. You know, and that really speaks to the um, growing diversity of the country. And that, too, is captured both in the voices of the people we've asked to contribute to this book as well as in the photography itself. Now, the the book is out and available, of course, um, where uh, all fine books uh, are sold and, and available, I'm sure, on uh, National Geographic's website. But it's going to be part of the National Geographic magazine as well, This this idea. America the Beautiful. It will. We're figuring out exactly when to when to make that package. You know, I'll tell you, we didn't want to do it right now because I feel like as as a magazine that is a fact based magazine and you know, a magazine that tries to produce very timely and relevant content, we have been so busy writing about the racial reckoning and the pandemic. Um, that we haven't had a chance yet to get this in. But I think there's going to be a great opportunity when we come to the other side of what we're all going through right now to, you know, to put this in our magazine and out on our website. In fact, some of these pictures already are on our website. We had an Instagram takeover yesterday. You know, Instagram is one of our biggest platforms. We have 145 million followers on wow. Instagram were the biggest brand yeah we're the biggest brand on Instagram and some of the individuals who wrote for our book you know also wrote for our for our Instagram um, uh, followers and so it's starting to trickle out uh, onto our other platforms but really the book is the first the first platform for this material now with 130 years of collecting photographs, even though this is a very large book, how do you manage to pick just the few that are that are part of this book? I know there are 300 images, which sounds like a lot, except you know that the National Geographic Archives is one of the biggest and richest in the world. We have 64 million print and digital images. So I guess the first thing we had to do in this book about America is 
get rid of all of the pictures that weren't about America, right? Yeah, <laughs> and because, that's a good you know, place. We, tra- we travel globally, and so we immediately eliminated all of those. But we still have so many pictures of the United States and of the territories. So then it really came down to trying to figure out which are the landscapes that most symbolize what our country looks like, where it's come from and where it is, which are the stories about people that can really help tell that story and that we've captured, you know, through through our through our the work of our amazing National Geographic photographers over the years. What is the natural history? Show us the the animals that really say something um, about the landscape that we live in and that we share this planet with. So it was making those kinds of decisions. But I'll tell you, I'm glad I wasn't picking all of them, um, you know, making all those final decisions. We've got terrific photo editors and book editors, and they really did that hard work. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned all of the images from around the world because um, I remember, you know, many, many years ago um, when I was a kid, before travel was as easy and convenient as it is now, uh, or at least was pre-pandemic, um, mm-hmm. it, the way we visited the world was through the pages of National Geographic. Um, historically, National Geographic has brought the world to America in the pages of uh, of the magazine. And that got me thinking, how, how did it become National Geographic and not International Geographic? You know, I'm embarrassed to say I do not know the answer to that. And question. Susan, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, <laughs> but it just kind of occurred to me, yeah. it's always had an international focus. That's exactly true. I mean, when it started in 1888, you know, it was a scientific tome. Uh, It was very dry, very, you know, dense copy about science matters. I think in our in our very first issue uh, in October of 1888, there's a story about the geological formation of the Potomac River here in Washington. I mean, it was it was that kind of thing. And so there were and there were no pictures at all. So it, it took a couple of years, and then we started getting pictures, and we really did start going out around the world. Our second president uh, was Alexander Graham Bell, you know, the famous Alexander Graham Bell, and he said that the mission of the magazine was to cover the world and everything in it. And so that is really, you know, where it started and where our global coverage started, and you are so right that, you know, we did bring the world to people who were living in a time where... People didn't travel the way, at least we did pre-pandemic, and that I know we will again. Um, It was a very, very different period, and I hear from people all the time that their first major realization of a world beyond their neighborhood came through the pages of our magazine. Has it been tough, Susan, uh, through the pandemic to continue to do the the work of National Geographic? I've had, uh, you know multiple people on that have uh, been doing projects for Nat Geo Kids, and um, the work seems to continue going on. How have you been able to do that despite all of these uh, shelter-at-home conditions we find ourselves in? 
Yeah, we've had to, you know, become uh, quite quite creative in how we're doing the work, but the work is still getting done. So what we tended to do historically is we will send a writer and a photographer to multiple countries to cover, say, rising seas, right? And they might go everywhere from Miami, Florida to Bangladesh and to cover that story. Now, if we wanted to do that story, we're going to get somebody who's already in Miami, a, foot, a writer and a photographer who are already in Miami, and then we're going to get a writer and a photographer who are already in Bangladesh, and we will assemble that material and weave it into a story uh, back at headquarters. So it is a different way of doing things, but it still <clears throat> still allows us to tell stories globally as, as we do and as we must. Now, you... Um mentioned that that pictures from America the Beautiful um, are already popping up online. Um, how much are you able to do uh, editorially in, in, uh, in terms of, of layout and, and working and so on with uh, the Nat Geo contributors online? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we have all been shoved into a very hasty experiment of what it's like for everybody to be working at home. And it's, you know, as, as creative teams, what we've always done is come together, you know, have meetings, physically touch photographs, move them around, put them on the wall, you know, things like that. But we are able to do that digitally now, you know, through Zoom meetings and people sharing their screens and our designers still can do their work. Of course, we were all using computers before this, right? And we do sure. our, our layouts electronically, um, but not actually being able to come together and touch the work and see the work is a little bit different. But it's amazing how quickly I think we have all adapted uh, to this very, very different way of working. And, um, you know, it, it's got some upsides, it's got some downsides, but we are absolutely um, able to make it through. And is it um, a little tougher to uh, drop books and, and magazines uh, during this pandemic? I think what's tougher is sort of the shipping and distribution process, yeah. right? Because, you know, in addition, most people subscribe to our magazine, but we do sell magazines on a newsstand. Well, you know, how is that newsstand doing, right? Are people going out there and, and buying things as much? So we've been doing, of course, more and more of our business you know, through digital ordering and certainly, you know, for books, people can go to bookstores, but if people aren't comfortable, you know, doing unnecessary or non, you know, not mandatory shopping, like going to a grocery store, they of course can order, you know, order things online. And so I think, you know, it's hastening a change that was already underway. Well, Susan, the book, like, like all of National Geographic's uh, projects, is um, just incredibly stunning, and, and uh, it, it really is a, uh, a beautiful look at America. Um, thanks for spending this time with me. As you know, um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what's going on at Nat Geo. What is the website? Oh, so the website is nationalgeographic.com. You know, you can read our stories. You can so you can read our magazine stories. You can read just our digital-only stories. You can find out all about our books and everything else that we offer, including on our television channel. So nationalgeographic.com is a great place to uh, check us out. Well, Susan, thanks so much. It was great talking with you again. 
Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate you helping us uh, talk about America the Beautiful. All right. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. That was uh, Susan Goldberg. She is the uh, editor-in-chief of National Geographic. The book is called um, America the Beautiful, A Story in Photographs. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <music> Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. 
State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, for amber.
Take the highway, that's the best Get your kicks on Route 66 It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way Get your kicks on Route 66 Mighty pretty sea and the willow Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget one owner, Kingston, Boston, San Bernardino, won't you get hit to this timely tip? When you make that California trip, get your kicks on Route 66.
touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance show down here it's a Tom Sumner program don't you know go on go on get out of here